FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 99 of the podcast that goes snicked. We're your host, Jason and Denise Venable, and this is it. The Let's last see. Wolverine story Ooh, until the death done. of miniseries next month. <laughs> of course. But we're going to wrap up this current volume of the Wolverine series, and then we also have a ton of other stuff to talk about. Awesome. Lots of comics. Lots. This so act- many. This actually probably should have been two episodes, but in just for whatever reason, for many different reasons, just didn't happen. Well, with that said, let's get some comics, shall we? Let's do it. All right, here we go. So first up, we have Wolverine 11 and 12, the wrap-up to Paul Cornell's last Wolverine story, One Month to Die. So wait, it's over? This is it. This is Cornell's run. So 12 is the end. 12 is the end. Mm. My only friend in the end. All right, so first we have number 11. Part two of three of the last Wolverine story, written by Paul Cornell, pencils and inks by Pete Woods, David Curiel does the colors, BC's Corey Pennant does the letters, Steve McNiven and Laura Martin do the cover, and I believe that's the exact same credits on both issues, so I will not repeat them. All right. So, the cover to number 11, we continue with our disintegrating Wolverine hand, and his claws are all shattered, and his hands are being ripped to shreds, and they're all bloody, and a reddish, a darker red background than before. Yeah, the blood soaking through. Right, so basically in this issue, Pinch says, I know I'm not supposed to let you play God, I'm supposed to stand up to you and say, I refuse to choose. But guess what? But you know what? Hey, it's my kid. So, uh, take a lost boy and kill him. Yeah, see ya. Sorry, wouldn't want to be ya. Then we see Wolverine with his army approaching Sabretooth's ship and his base or whatever. Which I like how they keep saying that Wolverine's brought everybody this time. But it's just Thor and some S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. <laughs> That's everybody. Like, and where's Captain America and Spider-Man and everybody else? They're in those ships that are way, 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 no, way, 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 way in they the back. They should be, but they're not. How do you know they just haven't received the text message yet? Oh, I know. Then we see where Sabretooth's gonna kill the lost boy, but he's toying with him. And a lost boy um, kind of mocks him. Juice. What? Lost boy mocks him because Sabretooth is drinking grape juice. Yes. It's probably blood. But he taunts him and says, You have me here. You're ready to kill me. And you still can't stop talking about Wolverine. You're a wuss. Wuss, 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 wuss. And Sabretooth's like, Oh, just kill him. Wolverine jumps in and says, this sure is easy to get under your skin. 
and he breaks Lost Boy loose, and Lost Boy uses his powers to blow a hole in the ground, and they escape. And of course, while Wolverine's helping him escape, he's like, I don't know if I should trust you. Yes. Dork. And Sabretooth's like, you want me to come after you? Uh Uh-uh. You came back alone, repeated your mistakes. You're still the same runt. Calls offer and tells her to bring up Pinch and the girl. So Wolverine and Lost Boy fight some hand ninjas. Yeah. And uh, offer tries to talk Sabretooth into keeping the hostages. And he needs to go out and get the orb. You need a distraction. And Sabretooth says, you're just buying time. I don't know if it's for yourself or for Wolverine, or both, and so he kills the offer. Sorry, offer. He offs the offer. He offed the offer. Yeah. And then he grabs Pinch's daughter and runs away. And Pinch is like, what are we going to do? And offer in his dying breath says, the orb's out there. Sabretooth is in here. I was distracting him. Tell Wolverine. Most dramatic death scene ever. Ever. Yep, old school. So we see Mystique is uh, trying to do something with the orb. (laughs) She's staring into his eye. I'm sorry, the spear. The orb is an original sin. This is the spear. Oh. Yeah. So anyway, Sabretooth says, we need a distraction. And so Mystique changes into Sabretooth holding the spear and runs off. And then Sabretooth runs off with the real spear. And then Pinch uses the ground to stabby-stab Sabretooth when she sees him, but it's not Sabretooth. (laughs) Wolverine can smell its mystique and she punches her. Then we see Silver Samurai and Mr. Deathstrike fighting S.H.I.E.L.D. with a bunch of hand ninjas and they realize they're just bait. They don't care for that. Nope. So Wolverine... Or Mystique tries to talk Wolverine into believing that he'll feel better in Sabretooth's new world. He should just let Sabretooth do his thing. I love Wolverine's answer. He's like, nah, I like this one. Where is he? And then uh, Pinch makes Mystique all spiky, and he's, she's going to give her brain damage. But Mystique tells her where Sabretooth is, so they track him down. And then there's more fighty fight on top, and there's more fighty fight on bottom, and then there's the shield, the spear has put up a barrier, and Wolverine can't get through it without his healing factor. And so, Pinch can't go through it because she doesn't have a healing factor. Right. So she says, fine, go get my daughter. So he goes, but then he walks into a shopping mall full of people. Of course. And that's where Sabretooth's base is under the mall. Where it all started. Yep. Is it the same mall? Is that what we're supposed to believe? I hope not. I don't know. All right, so what are you going to do? You do realize Wolverine just needs to stay out of malls. Yeah. Because he got the scar on his face while in a mall. Yep. The whole microverse started in a mall. Yep. So, what are you going to grade Wolverine number 11? I'm going to give it three out of six. I am also going to give it three out of six claws. It just, it was there. It held pace. <laughs> it held pace. All right. Nice. So, the cover to number 12, the claws are all gone. The skin is all gone. It's just an adamantium skeleton fist and then a black background with hints of red. Yes. Representing death. And this is our last, for now, issue of Wolverine. So he's supposed to die at the end of this. No, There's he's, he's nothing supposed else. to die in the Death of Wolverine miniseries that comes out next week. So what's the whole one month to die? It's next month he starts to die. That was me hitting my head on the microphone. So we start off, and the spear, as part of his defense mechanism, remember, makes a bunch of alternate reality people, so Pinch and Lost Boy are fighting themselves. Wolverine's in the mall, he's trying to get everybody out. 
He flashes back to the last time he was in the mall where Sabretooth almost killed him and set him down a, a path of trying to refine himself. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. But he sees Sabretooth and she has, or he has Pinch's daughter. Then he's going to remake, he's going to kill her because she has a smart mouth. Because he asks her what she wants in the new world. And she says, a magical pony that farts rainbows. <laughs> okay, I may have made up the farting rainbow fart. And sings back in black. Yeah. No, she wants a magic pony that sings. Basically, my little pony. Yes. Um, but Sabretooth is not a brony. He wants none of that. He's going to lop her head off with his claws. But Wolverine strikes. And then a bunch of hand ninjas show up, and he cuts his way through them. And, we'll, and Sabretooth still has not killed the girl. And he says, I knew you'd come back right. Sabretooth talks about how he, they can have a little chat. And um, so Wolverine starts talking. He goes, I guess you got a choice then. You always said you wanted me on your side. Wanted me to be like you. You got room for me in your ideal world? Damn it. So he's basically saying, wait, we have a new world. You're going to be in charge. Shit, I can't use this beer yet. <laughs> I gotta kill Wolverine first so there's no Wolverine in my new paradise. So, Sabretooth says, Did nothing I said sink in back there, boy? You rushed in here all alone. He says, Not this time. I got friends outside finishing your crew. And Sabretooth calls him a little bundle of human contradiction. I like that. Yeah, that was nice. And Wolverine says, I am what I am, and that's all that I am. I can get guy. And he says, you can't say the same. You want to be God, but the first thing you do is cut all your people out. You want to be leader, but the only cause you care about is yourself. You want to make a new world so you can get rid of that suit and go back to being an animal? You think I'm on your path that I'll end up like you? I prefer to die, bub. Damn straight. I actually like that speech. Yeah. That was really nice. And Sabretooth says, you can't call me a hypocrite. You're so afraid of dying, you got new armor. And I like these panels here of the armor falling off. See the little wrist guards and the clothes. Actually, the, the frame of the cow yeah. is one of my favorite panels in the book. I did not realize that his cow had a chin strap. I guess I didn't really either. Usually it just falls behind him and lays on his back. Interesting. It's a chin trap. Yeah, I don't know. So Wolverine's now naked. Well, with his tidy blackies. Yeah, he's got his boxer briefs on underneath. And we get a nice double snick as he crosses his arms and an X in front of him. I gotta say, the claws look a little bony. I guess that's just Pete Wood's style. It's rough. Yeah. The next panel's awesome. You get a nice double spread of Wolverine attacking Sabretooth. They lunge at each other. There's only one thing I don't like, though. What? Wolverine's fingernails are like Sabretooth's real long and pointy. Oh, they kind of are, huh? Yeah, I don't like that. Yeah, they're not usually drawn like that, necessarily. And the girl in the background is like, Oh! Oh! Not yet has it occurred to her that she should use this run time and to hide. run. Find the uh, orange Julius or whatever the kids are drinking in the mall these days. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's going to snack and we're going to watch the fight. Hide behind the bushes. Yeah. So we see Thor fighting a Nazi Thor. And then um, S.H.I.E.L.D. is trying to figure out how to get through the spear, but they can't. So then we get a whole page of Sabretooth and Wolverine fighting. It's pretty cool. Eh, I was a little let down, to be honest. How so? I don't... <sighs> There's a lot of Wolverine getting his butt kicked. Well, not that necessarily. I don't know. I didn't feel like... I don't know. I don't know what it is about the art. Something about the art doesn't quite draw me into the fight. I can't really put my finger on it. Okay. But 
And it's kind of like, oh, here's a page of fighting, okay. Like, nothing really sucked me into the page. And it's like this big, like, climactic battle, and I should be, like, pouring over every panel. And it's kind of like, ho-hum. Uh-oh. So, I don't know, something something about the art or the layout, or maybe oh. that all the, the panels were tiny, I don't know. Something about it just didn't really click with me. The next page does the same thing for me. Oh, me too. Yeah. So Wolverine, it talks about how he's losing because Sabretooth keeps healing, and Wolverine can't anymore. And we see Sabretooth make his final lunge and Wolverine runs out of the way. <laughs> now, what I find interesting in all of art is this panel right here. That's a cool panel. Where it's red. And that first, one I like. I thought it was his shadow. No, it's Sabretooth coming at him. Yeah. Actually, yeah. I thought it was death. No, that's that's a few panels later. So, but Sabretooth makes one lunge. Wolverine is pretending that he's down for the count, but he's really not. He's playing possum, and he cold cocks Sabretooth in the face. Then he Bam. gives him a one-two punch, and then a one-two-three, and knocks Sabretooth out. But Sabretooth stays down a little too long, in my opinion. Yeah, he has a healing factor. Yeah, and he normally, I mean, Wolverine didn't even use his claws. Like, he just punched him. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's the adrenaline. But he lands with his head in the fountain, and Wolverine says, Make a wish, bub. No, he doesn't. But he should have, damn it. He should have, because <laughs> Wolverine would have That would have been the best one-liner in the whole run of Paul Cornell's story art. <laughs> Make a and wish. And he missed it. <laughs> Marvel, I'm available. So what do you know? All right, so then he goes to the orb and basically tells it to shut off. He goes... I'm your boss now. Who's your daddy? Yeah, who's your hairy, short daddy, grumpy daddy? (laughs) Wolverine contemplates just sticking Sabretooth's head underwater until he drowns. Because remember, that's how you kill a Wolverine, and thus a Sabretooth. I was going to say. You drown him. But he he decides he's a hero, but then he collapses. He's had too much. Which he doesn't look all that beat up, to be honest. That's another part of the art. No, he should be completely black and blue and bloody. Right, and maybe they didn't want to be too graphic, and that's fine as a choice, but you gotta give me something to make me think that he really got killed here. Yeah, I agree. And then Death shows up and says, Wolverine's ter- You're terribly disappointing sometimes. I was looking forward to having Creed. Oh well, I'll see you soon. And then Wolverine blacks out and wakes up in a hospital, and Frankenstein... Dr. Frankenstein said she brought him back from the dead. Is she exaggerating? Are we supposed to believe he actually died? I don't really understand what's going on. Like, because she can't do that. So I don't know if this is just like, a, oh, you almost died there. Or if she really means she brought him back from the dead. Well, he's got some weird, like, he's hooked up to some weird thing. Yeah, I don't know. So then Nick Fury comes in. They got Sabretooth in lockdown. Though he's running over, running all over the Marvel Universe and every other comic book. But hey, he's in a lockdown. Then Pinch and Lost Boy and the daughter come in and she has her My Little Pony now. Yep, singing My Little yeah. Pony. And they basically say, uh, thanks, we're going to split. Oh, and Lost Boy corrected his tattoo. Says, I fight evil. He covered up the with evil part. Right, right. He got, what, what is the episode of Bad Ink? Is that the, yes. the show where they fix the tattoos? Yes. Or is that a different one? I don't remember. No, Bad Ink. One of those tattoo shows. It. Yeah, he got fixed. And then a week later, crotchety healing Wolverine is walking around in his house shoes and he meets Kitty Pride. They have a heart to heart. And he basically says he's going to go find Somewhere. himself. Yeah, going to get lost for a little bit. And she's like, what about the school? And he says, responsibility can wait. I learned nothing in all of this. 
I left to learn, and I came back with nothing. <laughs> right. And Kitty's like, what about Storm? And Wolverine just smiles and says, me and her, we're always going to be okay. And then he asks Kitty to start calling him James. And that's the end. So then we get a nice little fake story, an alternate. What if Wolverine had said yes to the virus? So the Zombie virus, apocalypse. Yeah, the virus takes everybody over and hunts down the humans. Wolverine grows old. And that's it. It doesn't really matter. I don't know who. If there's an artistic team for this part, they don't get credit. Same. Oh, I'm so, yes, I'm here in front. I'm sorry. That which didn't happen. Paul Cornell. Salvador LaRocca. Then Rochelle Rosenberg did the colors. And we also have Guernica by Paul Cornell, also by Salvador LaRocca, and Veronica Gandini did the colors. We basically have the owner of the Guernica bar talking about how he opened a bar for heroes. He didn't really mean to, but heroes just kind of showed up. He's like, oh, this is my niche. Um, So he's basically talking about how he's upgraded the security, that they decided there had to be rules as one time supervillains came in. And Dr. Frankenstein said, I'll heal you, but no villains can ever come back here again. And they're like, okay, because they're scared of her for some reason. Um, Then we see the S.H.I.E.L.D. guys having a poker game. And apparently there's a a painting hanging up of Picasso's Guernica. And Nick Fury gives a little spiel about it, about the town, what it means, how it means so much to the heroes, the concept. So that's when he changes the name of the bar. Now he has a teleportation security device run by Tony Stark. It's nice to have friends in high places. The end. And the point of that was? That was actually one of my favorite parts. I really enjoyed it. And just a guy talking about his bar, like the reason is when the heroes come there and how he protects kind of their privacy and stuff like that. That was really cool. He says, what does he say? At the end, he says, the heroes need a place to touch reality. Heroes are people. They ought to have a place that at least touches on the real world. A place that's protected. Cheers. I enjoyed it. I thought the w- that which didn't happen was a wasted space. Yes. Now let's talk about our last chapter of the Wolverine story. I thought this was much better than issue 11. It, it was better. Okay. I don't All right, know so let's if talk I about the, the word much. Let's talk about the art. Besides a couple of places where I thought it fell flat, not overall, Pete Woods, who I usually like, did a pretty good job. I agree. I actually came to really, I wasn't sure about his Wolverine in issue number 11. I mean, in issue number 10. And by the end of issue 12, I actually really enjoyed the way he drew Wolverine. I, I enjoyed the way he drew Wolverine, but there were certain parts that I didn't like. I okay. just I had a hard time believing that it was Wolverine. Okay. And I don't know if it's just because he's not. I never really particularly enjoyed his saber tooth. Yeah, I can see that one. But that's okay. This whole fighting scene, it didn't look like Wolverine. It looked no, like and maybe that's what, I don't a know. A caveman. Yeah. And maybe that's what he was going for to show like the the animalistic side of Wolverine. Right. But it I just it didn't look right. like Wolverine to me. So while the fight itself didn't really draw me in action-wise, I thought the the quote-unquote final conflict between Wolverine and Sabretooth was pretty meaningful. Yeah, I was expecting a little bit more. I was too. I was I I feel like it fell a little flat action-wise, but dialogue-wise, I thought it was really good. I felt it was Sabretooth. I have the ball. Oh, Come crap. and get it. Wait, I don't want the bong. You're yeah. here. I just, I just want to fight you. Oh, yeah. Boom, shucks. boom, boom. Yeah. Wolverine win. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, let's grade this and then let's talk about the Cornell run overall. I'm going to give it a four out of six. Okay. I'm going to be exactly the same with these books. 
I'm going to also give Wolverine number 12 4 out of 6 claws. Alright, so Cornell's run from beginning to end. I think I'm going to like it more than you. <laughs> Probably. I feel like it had its ups and downs, but mostly redeemed itself at the end. I felt like we had really good Wolverine character moments throughout. I'll agree to that. Okay. I feel like this last little bit, like the last Wolverine story, felt a little underwhelming. I also think it was hampered by the fact that we know the death of Wolverine starts the next issue, like in a week. So I feel like knowing that he's safe in this story and that he's going to die in a, in a really big miniseries coming right up, like the story, and maybe I was just taking that knowledge and reading into it, but the end of the story felt a little neutered to me. Yeah. I don't know if it was done by editorial mandate or... I just I find it hard to believe that this is exactly what Cornell wanted to do all along. I, as much as I love things wrapped in a bow and presented to me, that was the part of this that I didn't like. I didn't like how they threw a bunch of stuff out and then all of a sudden it's like, pinch leaves and she has her daughter. Lost Boy fixes his tattoo. <laughs> right. You know, Wolverine makes up for Kitty Pride. Everything was wrapped in a nice, neat little boat, which cracks me up because where this all started, I was perturbed that they weren't wrapping <laughs> things up in a bow. And now they've wrapped it up too nice and tight for me. Right. So. So here's my assessment from point A to Z. So from Paul Cornell's first Wolverine number one through those 12 issues, or I guess that was 13 issues, right? Yeah, and then this one, the 12 issues of this series, I felt like the high moments to me outweighed the low. Um, I feel like overall the story progressed fairly well with a few speed bumps and that for the most part he got Wolverine. I feel like the art um, had a few speed bumps as well. There was that one guy who wasn't very good. Oh, that one was bad. Uh, but, but Alan Davis was great. Ryan Stegman was great. Chris Anka was great. That's probably, there were probably some other fill-ins. But uh, Pete Woods ended on a fairly strong note. Wouldn't have minded seeing Stegman. Do, oh, um, Sandoval had a couple issues in there, too. He did really well, also. So really, I'm pretty much, the art was pretty top-notch on all of this, except for that one guy who did the middle of the microverse story and he only did one issue right i think he did two right oh okay yeah yeah he was mm. yeah not my favorite what is no. with that all right so what's your overall impression of, of paul cornell's big wolverine opus if you will that's me flushing <laughs> okay i first of all i think the whole thing can be wrapped up in five issues i think that's a little short all right i'll give it 10 but yeah, there were there were parts that were there were parts to me in the first volume that were frustrating, but I didn't feel much of that during the second volume. No, I didn't feel that, but I kind of felt like I could predict things. Like okay. it was too predictable. Oh, Wolverine's gonna do this. He's really not that bad. He's really you know blah blah blah. And I think I even called it a handful of times. Yeah. So that was the only thing I love when a comic can keep me on my toes and. I think this one fell short of keeping me on my toes. I felt like it was cookie cutter predictable. Okay. So needless to say, if someone asked me my opinion, I would say flip it, but don't read it. Just flip through it. 
Yeah, I would disagree. I would say it's, it's worth overall reading. There's a couple issues that I could have done without. You can go back and listen to my, my grades. Or my rants. I guess I, I guess we should have done that. I should have, list, I should have went back and see what our average grade was and see if it matches what we're going to grade the whole series. Because what are you going to grade? The whole Cornell's whole run from start to finish. Three out of six. Three out of six. Okay, I'm going to say from start to finish, I'll give the whole thing four out of six. If we were only doing the second volume, I would do five out of six. If we were only doing the second volume, it would get four out of six. Yeah, so I think we both agree the second volume is better than the first. Yes, the first, I think we should just flush it. <laughs> I think that's a little harsh, but that's Grab okay. Grab the toilet paper. No, no, no. Well, anyway, so that's, that's Paul Cornell's Wolverine run. Um, we're going to kind of... It's weird. I uh, will have some stuff. So supposedly, this jumps right into the death of miniseries. So the other stuff we're going to cover is going to be weird timeline-wise, but we'll talk about that as we do it. Okay. Yeah, so that's uh, that's going to be it. We're done with the Wolverine comic for now. For now. Yep, we'll see what happens later. So next up, we're going to talk about um, the annual... Wolverine annual number one and a Savage Wolverine number 22. All right. And the writer is Elliot. This is the annual. Oh, I'm sorry. This is the annual. The writer is Elliot Kalan. Artist, Jonathan Marks. Colorist, Jose Villarubia. Villarubia. <laughs> Letterer is VC's Corey Pettit. Woohoo. No, it's woohoo. Okay. Cover artist is Dustin Nguyen. Yep. So what do you think of this cover? Uh, Dustin Nguyen, um, long-time DC exclusive, coming over doing some Marvel work before he starts his image book. So he's doing a Wolverine cover. What do you think of this cover? It's interesting. I am a Dustin Nguyen fan. Of course, he's a long-time Batman artist. Okay. does a lot of Batman stuff and does fantastic Batman stuff. I gotta say, I really, really like this cover, except for Jubilee's face. Well, I was gonna say, it looks like he spent the majority of his time on Wolverine, and everything else was sort of... Alright, well, I think Wolverine looks really cool. But Jubilee looks like an afterthought. In fact, she kind of looks pasted into it. <laughs> I like the baby, though. Baby looks cool. The wolves look cool. The wolves so, look cool. Yeah, everything, everything except for... I even don't mind Jubilee, like, her figure. It's just her face looks... Unfinished. Cartoony. Yeah, I kind of feel like they did the cover and they were like, ooh, dude, Jubilee's supposed to be in this. Oh, <laughs> we'll stick her right here. Right. But uh, overall, I really like the cover quite a bit. So the art is awesome. I don't, I'm not familiar with this guy at all. Um, Jonathan Marks. Pretty painterly, wouldn't you say? It's very watercolory and very gritty. All right. So what happens in this book? You Don't want the, show. like, yeah. nutshell version? Three sentences. Three sentences. Wolverine no, and Jubilee want. go out to the forest. So Wolverine with can the teach baby. with the baby Shogo, right? Is mm-hmm. that how they pronounce the name? So Wolverine can teach Jubilee how to, quote, live off the land. No right. tents. Should have been Nothing. no babies. <laughs> right. And, of course... While they're living off the land, the wolves come to make an appearance. Yes, and this is Wolverine's wolf pack. That's right. So Jubilee's impressed that Wolverine has some wolf family, and Wolverine's impressed that Jubilee's actually living off the land quite well. And then, of course, they run into dun 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 random campers. (laughs) 
who decide that, ooh, the baby's in trouble, so we're going to steal the baby, which sends Jubilee. And they decide to take the baby, but Jubilee stops him. Wolverine gets injured along the way. He gets shot. He gets shot by the camping couple. Yes. Uh, Jubilee leaves him to cut him off at the pass, and basically there's a showdown between female camper and Jubilee, and they just hand the baby over and go, sorry. We thought he was. We thought we were saving him from yeah. the wolves and the monster man and the vampire lady. Yeah. So don't hurt <laughs> us. And she's like, fine. And they go off and they live their happy-go-lucky lives. Sure. The end. All right. So let's talk about the pros. I like that Wolverine said he talks about how basically he's been checking on the like just every now and then he just comes and check in with his wolf family that's right you see how they're going apparently like a few generations have passed even right and he's seen the alpha as a cub right so i thought that part was really cool i thought the idea because wolverine's always kind of been a mentor to jubilee right now jubilee has a kid i thought the idea of the three of them taking a camping trip like having some hangout personal time is good potential Yes. All right. So the cons, um, <laughs> while there were a few things that were interesting dialogue-wise, I felt overall the dialogue was very clunky and stiff. I also thought it was inconsistent. At one point, Wolverine calls Jubilee, Jubilee and Jubes, but then well, he, he also, also calls, calls her Jay. Jay. Well, you're Jay to me. Yeah, but I, Ethan's not always the same. I call him like nine different nicknames. Well, yeah, but I've never in other comic book context ever heard him refer to her as Jay. I can't recall that one. I mean, Jubes makes sense. I can't say he hasn't. I don't remember either way. But yeah, I, I didn't realize stupid that... stupid Dazzler jokes, too. I actually thought that was funny because she made fun of Dazzler. She did make fun of Dazzler because he made fun of her. Right. So I didn't realize that um, Marvel vampires have um, basically turned into Scott Snyder's and Raphael Albuquerque's American vampire uh, with a really big opening jaw and the long finger claws, which is exactly what the American vampire stuff looks like. I didn't think it was cool that um, the park where they went was Ween National Park. Uh-huh. Of course, Lynn Ween, co-creator of Wolverine. Oh. So that was a really nice little nod. Yeah, and the, the couple particularly, they kept arguing about, like, they're both in the military. And she... And he had, like, some kind of traumatic... Brain thing. Yeah. And she was all over his case, and they were arguing. And but the part that seemed unrealistic to me is so they're an army couple, but she's a couple ranks higher than him. So she's like, okay, so I'm not your wife, Kim, anymore. I'm now your commanding officer. So now tell me what's wrong. And instead of being like, Shut the F up. <laughs> He's like, yes, sir. And right. to me, that was bizarre. The only part I thought was kind of funny is when she says, well, don't call me sir, call me honey. And he goes, what would the rest of the unit think? <laughs> yeah. I just thought it was clunky. Yeah, I didn't care for the dialogue or, or the story all that much. So basically, it's Wolverine. Like He's worried because he's lost his healing factor, and he wants to know that he's going to leave everybody in good hands, basically. All right, so what do you think of the art? I'm glad I got to see a comic book done in a watercolor style, and I'm glad I got to see it because... Watercolor is one of my favorite mediums to paint in. I was kind of excited when I saw the cover, thinking, ooh, could it be an entire uh, watercolor well, if Dustin, comic? If Dustin went and done this whole comic, we, we would have been in for a treat. Well, sorry, the art. Eh. 
No, I'm not its biggest fan. I thought there were panels that went really cool. Not Wolverine looked cool sometimes. And then I thought he kind of struggled on facial expressions, especially serious ones. Well, it's really hard, especially in smaller panels, to get all the detail in a watercolor. Right. Well, this bear looks really cool. The panel with him tackling, wrestling with the the wolves looks nice. This one where she's pointing in the in the husband's face is awful. Yeah. Um, and then Wolverine running with the wolves looks cool. Well, and I and like the hair. deer yeah. with the negative space. Right. And then the one where Wolverine is jumping before he gets shot. That, that's a cool panel. So there, there's bright spots, but overall I was unimpressed. All right. So what are you going to grade Wolverine annual number one? It's only going to get a three out of three. Three and out I'm being, of three? I'm sorry. Three out of six. Three out of six claws from Denise. And I'm being generous. Okay, I'm going to give it two out of six claws. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm being generous. All right, so real fast, let's talk about Savage Wolverine number 22. Did you get a chance to skim through this at all? It's okay if you didn't. No, that's right. why I'm looking at you like, okay. uh, I feel like I walked into like high school math class and the all teacher's right. like, pop quiz, crap, right. didn't study. That's okay. So this is a Great War part two. John Argudi is the writer. Joe Quinones is the artist. VCs Corey Pettit Woo-hoo. is the winner. And then Kevin Nolan did the cover. The cover is actually really cool and looks more like Wolverine this time, so it's even cooler than the last one. Um, <laughs> it's basically a shirtless World War II Wolverine running around, though he looks like he has metal claws. That part's weird. Um, and then there's two, like, I'm sorry, I said World War II. I meant World War One. And there's two, like, skulls with World War One, different World War One helmets on in the background. And then the color's just really nice. So it's a really cool cover. So there's this World War One story that really didn't merit one part and certainly did not merit two parts. There's a, one kind of cool line where one of the German soldiers tells Wolverine not to talk to him about dying with honor. What does he know about death? Death is just an abstract thing to, to Logan. And at this point, it kind of is when you, have, when you can't die. I mean, what does it really mean, right? And so that part is kind of interesting. And visually, there's a couple of cool panels, but... Overall, there's nothing that really adds to Wolverine's lore. Um, yeah, it's just kind of a, it's a World War One story. And Wolverine kind of plugged in, doing his thing. But anyway, there's a couple... I mean, the art's not bad. I actually liked it a little better, this issue, than the last one. But um, It still reminds me of Scooby-Doo. Sure. <laughs> All right, but I'm going to give Savage Wolverine number 22 two out of six claws as well. It wasn't horrible, but there's really no reason for it to exist. So next up, we have And the X-Men which will be a double dose of Wolverine and the X-Men. A double shot. Number seven and number eight. Double treble. <laughs> so number seven is written by Jason Latour with art by Massimiliano Veltri, Mark Daring, and David Messina with colors by Israel Silva and Brett Smith. VCs Clayton Cowles does the letters and then Mahmoud Azrar and Marte Gracia do the cover. I gotta say, I really like this cover. I do too. It's like, uh, what do you call that when it, is that a silhouette? Kind of. It's like a red silhouette of Daredevil making an X with his billy clubs. Oh, yes, that is a silhouette. And then the X-Men are like in a reddish hue, but they're like kind of regular, but then kind of in Daredevil vision. Yeah. It, I don't know, it, just, it looks really cool, especially Wolverine. It reminded me of, um, who is the Pepsi guy? Was it Pepsi or Coke? Max Hedrum. Yes. I can't remember if it was Pepsi or Coke. I can't either. Huh. Max. Yes. I remember Max Hedrum. I don't remember what brand he drank. 
But basically, we have a Daredevil vision on Wolverine. It looks really cool. I like it, it a lot. It does look cool. And the silhouette, just, I don't know, it's, it just looks nice. It makes a nice, everything makes a nice little V about two-thirds of the way down the page. Like, even the silhouettes of Storm and Idy and Quentin with Wolverine, like, those come into a V, and it's almost at the exact same angle as the Billy Clubs. It has nice symmetry. I dig it. It's it's one of the better covers we've had in a while, I think. I agree. I like the airbrush stippling. I don't know if you can tell on your printed version. No what? Yeah. So, um, see that little dot pattern on the cover? Mm-hmm. The background? Yeah, it's kind of like a stippling. Basically, it's like airbrush afterburn. Okay. I completely believe you. All right, so basically, we start off in, in San, San Francisco. In San Francisco. I left my heart. <laughs> Isn't that the name of the song? That's one of them, yeah. So we have Melita, which is one of Wolverine's ex-girlfriends from a few years ago. And she's a reporter. And uh, she's actually a good character. I kind of missed her when she went away. I like Wolverine in the Jimmy Buffett shirt with um, the little dragon. With Lockheed yes. sitting on his guitar. Yes. Yeah, we have, basically, she quit the Daily Bugle to work on a, um, I guess, an unauthorized Wolverine biography. And, of course, she's talking with famed Bugle reporter Ben Urich, who's telling her, you know what? You dumped you. Get over it. <laughs> this isn't going to bring him back. Right. But she says that's not what it's about. Oh. Or, or does that come later? I think she's that comes got a later. Jean Grey cup. Look at the initials on her coffee cup. Oh, it's probably a Jean Grey school. Oh. Yeah. Damn, I thought I'd caught something. So anyway, the red right hand are going to get revenge on Wolverine. They're going to kill Melita. But Daredevil shows up and takes him out. He's got a big old grin on his face. And he has sent a cease and desist on Logan's behalf to Melita to quit writing the the book. No kiss and tell. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So then we go back to the school and Armor is bummed because remember uh, Suck Dynasty ruined her power and she can't get back inside her armor. Oh no. And Wolverine is all beat up. He, he looks says, bad. Yeah. I do like this panel where Brew comes running into the classroom and we see it, the classroom from behind yes. the blackboard and we see like almost an invisible like storm Chalk riding board. in the air. It's really cool. Yeah. And then we turn around and we see it's the uh, blackboard. And Brew's in class, but it's basically just him, Evan, and Kid Gladiator. And he wants to know where everybody is. And basically, Idy's off being rebellious. So then Melita comes to challenge Matt Murdock, kind of calls BS on this whole I'm not Daredevil thing. And she says it's not just like a tell-all, it's not for fame and glory. She has a really good quote. She says, I want to write this book because gunslingers don't die old. And she says basically his enemies know he lost his healing factor and they're coming after him. Who knows how much longer he's going to be able to fight him off. Everyone sees him as like a one-dimensional cartoon. He's this crazy berserker, crazy Wolverine monster. People need to know there's more to him than that. That he's not just a grumpy old troll. <laughs> that he actually, you know, he has tender moments and human moments and people need to see that. And when you fluff him around really quick, his hair goes crazy. Yes. And I really like the way they draw Matt's uh, Daredevil vision. Because he's, he's basically, he's reading our heartbeat. Yeah. But it's all like in negatives color. It's reversed out. Yeah, it looks really cool. And uh, basically, you can see she's telling the truth. She's being sincere. 
So Brew runs to find Idy. He's been off in space. He gives her a big hug. Storm shows up and says she needs to talk to Idy. Like 90-year-old Idy. Yeah, we'll talk about that at the end. Idy basically says, you know what? I don't care. I don't believe in this anymore. I saw the future and we can't stop it no matter what you say. You and Wolverine think you see or see yourselves in me. Maybe you should wonder if that's a good thing or not. And then she storms off into the woods. So later that night in San Francisco, we have a ninja priest bringing up a bunch of dead ninjas out of a pentagram in the ground, and Wolverine and Daredevil are fighting the ninjas. Then Duke shows up and pushes the, uh... Of course he would. The ninja priest into the pit. And we get a nice uh, Daredevil radar vision of Wolverine, and he can see all the cuts and scratches. Like, Wolverine looks pretty beat up. Basically, Wolverine says he's been talking to Matt about he ordered him to, uh issue the cease and desist and Matt kind of gave him a guilt trip after he talked to Melina and says he, he believes Melina and thinks she has a good point. And Wolverine talks about apparently he's been having a will made is what it sounds like. Yeah. Daredevil says it's just because he's scared. But Wolverine says, no, I'm just facing my mortality. I just want to make sure everyone's taken care of just in case. But then his heart skips a beat. Almost as if he doesn't believe it's just in case, like he believes it's inevitable. Well, I kind of got that he's actually, it's that, and he's scared of it. Yes. Like, he's scared to think about it. He's scared to talk about it. Like, we'll just do this to be okay, but in his mind, he's like, oh my gosh, to think to do this means this, this, right. and this. I've never even had to think about this before, and now right. I do. And of course, Daredevil, or Wolverine knows that Daredevil's like listening. Wolverine also has hypersenses. He probably knows his heart skipped a beat. Yeah. He basically tells Daredevil, your lie detector's wrong. <laughs> no. And Daredevil tries to comfort him, but then Duke shoots out of the pit with a flaming fart. And um, then we go back to the school, and Phantom X is looking for whiskey. The Banff steals it, but he finds some more. Storm comes in. He makes a pass at her, and she tells him, basically gets on to him for being a hypocrite, and he says, well, you're kind of... And then he kind of makes a good point about the school. He says, people leave the school alone because they're scared of Wolverine. So what Now that he's not scary anymore, who will they fear now, Storm? Good point. It is a good point. But then we stop off our last page, Wolverine, in San Francisco. He left Daredevil. He's done fighting ninjas. He's not going to go see Melita, but he's at a bar, and he gives Storm a call, and he says, this is long overdue. We've messed around. We've fooled around, but we need a date. Hmm. We need to have dinner with me. And that's where we end off. So... I don't know what artist or what. Oh, before we get to that, the little two-part story we're doing takes place before Wolverine number one. There's a note on the title page, so... Oh, okay. All this, so I guess we're kind of trying to clear away for the fact that at the end of our last Wolverine story, the last Wolverine story, Wolverine talks about how he's going to leave the school for a little bit and run off, and Kenny's like, what about Storm? And Wolverine's like, oh, we'll be fine. And that doesn't really gel with this, so they're backing this story up. By saying it happened earlier? Yeah. Okay. So, that said... I don't really know what artist or which. One of them I like a lot, and one of them I don't like at all. (laughs) I would concur. So the guy who draws everything in San Francisco, which is all the Daredevil stuff, all the Ninja stuff, and really all the Wolverine stuff. Awesome. Fantastic. Like a lot. The guy that draws everything at the school, everybody looks old and distorted and not in a good way. And some of them... And I don't mean this. Storm's thing. cape kind of looks cool. It's because it's really big and abstract. In this one, she no offense, she kind of looks like a drag queen. Who, Idy or Storm? Both. Yeah. 
<laughs> like I actually had this vision of I wonder if this is what it was like in Roman days when the men played women in plays. <laughs> maybe so. But the other art is awesome. Yeah. It's really good. And I wonder if maybe it's David Messina because it looks kind of like the art in the next book, which is also partially David Messina. So I'm thinking maybe that's that's the good art in this book. Like I said, I'm just not familiar enough with any of them to know for sure. But what's weird is the guy who draws at the school, all of, well, I, okay, I take that back. I was going to say all of his men, he draws normal, but he drew, he drew Xavier funky looking. Well, and Phantom X looks weird too. I don't. I thought he looked a little more normal than any of the other characters. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, creepy Xavier <laughs> staring at his sideways out of the corners of his eyes. Anyway, what do you think of the issue, the story? I think it's an interesting story. I loved it, to be honest. I thought it was great. I thought it dealt better with the end of Wolverine than maybe the actual Wolverine book. I will agree with that. I also will say, of our first seven issues, this is my favorite of Latour's Wolverine and the X-Men. I feel like... I can see that. I feel like this is the kind of story he should be writing, and a little bit less of the uh, Quentin Quire, Future Phoenix, Apocalypse stuff. Happens doesn't happen. There's a whole chicken before the egg yeah. thing. Like, this is more him. Or, like, it's, it's snappy. Yeah. It's good character moments. Yes. It's good action. This reminds me more of the Latour we got in Japan's Most Wanted. Yes. That I raved about. Yes. And so I would like more of these, please. <laughs> me too. Uh, so we want to grade Wolverine and the X-Men number seven. I'm going to give it five out of six. I'm going to also give it five out of six claws. I would give it six out of six if the artist I liked drew the whole issue. Yeah, that but one I just, artist pulled I, it down. Yeah, it did, for sure. Sorry, dude. Sorry, man. I don't even know which one you are, and I don't mean to hate. And we don't hate you. No. We're just not digging how you drew these people. But I I'm will sure say the colors in both sections are great. They are. And the the school section looks more like Israel Silva to me, but I don't know that for sure. Because the other one kind of looks like him too. So I don't really know what the different colorist is either. But they both did an awesome job. Yep. The colors are very lively, vibrant, and look good. All right, so let's move on to number eight. It's date night. This is still written by Jason Latour with art by Paco Diaz, pages one through four. The return of our... um, 2013 Wolvie Award winning Best Artist. Um, and then David Messina and Gatano Carlucci on pages 5 through 20. And then Israel Silva and John Kalitz are the colors. VC's Clayton Cowles is the letterer. And again, the cover by Mahmoud Azrar and Marte Garcia. And the cover is Wolverine and Storm on a date on a table surrounded by alien carcasses. But hey, they got candlelight and wine in a rose. And they're so holding it's, hands. It's romantic. I really love the colors. I love how everything's sort of in a very muted tone, but Wolverine and Storm are a little bit brighter. Yeah. So it really makes them come forward while everything else goes back. Yeah, and they both look sharp. It's a, it's a good cover. Yeah. So I was pretty stoked to see Paco Diaz come back. I really like our kind of gruff. It's kind of anime-ish how like the angle and straight tall is standing. But I think Wolverine in the suit looks cool. Yeah, he kind of reminds me of Sabretooth since Sabretooth's been wearing suits and whatnot. Yeah, I can see that a little bit. But basically, he's got a stopwatch and he throws it away because, you know what? Wolverine and Storm are going to have their date in a place where they can control time. 
the world. So they're inside the world having a date, and Armor's still messing with her armor, and then it shatters, and she's like, oh, F. <laughs> so time in the world moves differently, so Wolverine and Storm are there for a long time, but it's barely minutes in the real world. They've been there a week before things start happening. Yep, so they're they're there, they're making love. Then these guys show up and kidnap them, but they just want them to help with a the fight. They fight some evil overlord, Storm's the queen. They don't want to be queen anymore. They go fishing, they find a crazy elephant. They're on a boat. They decide they have to go back to the real world. Wolverine grows a beard. And no matter how slow time goes, they have to. They can't halt time for real. They're X-Men, they need to go back home. So they do. Uh, but then when they leave inside the world, there's a James Logan Howitt School of the World. And on the door, he made an X out of his claws. Aww. So, the art, I thought was pretty good. Uh, I really enjoyed Paco Diaz and how bright his art always is. Um, and now just how clean it is. And I really enjoyed the art by Messina and Carlucci. I thought it looked pretty good overall. What do you think of the art? I loved it. I, I love the colors. I love yeah, again, the, the colors way everything really is good. drawn. Yeah. All right, what do you think of the story? <laughs> I like the concept. I like the I concept. I like the idea of Storm and Wolverine going on a date. And I even like the idea, since they're so busy and being an X-Men are crazy, crazy lives and there's no right. time to go on a date, I like the idea that they go into the world where they can slow time down and have a date. Yes. The idea of the story is good. The execution, meh. Yeah, I was going to say, it's an really, A idea, but like a C execution. Yeah. I don't really care about the overlord and all that stuff. I know it's just supposed to be like a fun, hey, we're still X-Men, even though we tried to get away, we still have to do X-Men stuff. I, I even like that part. I just, I don't know, didn't really keep my attention or entertain me all that much. No, I kind of felt like I was in an episode of Star Trek. <laughs> Well, I bet most people would take that as a compliment. Well, there's an episode of Star Trek where Picard, there's some alien nation that is dying out in their civilization. No one will ever remember them. And so basically they go into Picard's mind and they instill like a lifetime of memories. Like he gets married and he has kids right, right, and right. all that. And then he wakes up like five minutes later. And he's like, what? It wasn't real? And they're like, no, but now you have like our existence in you and you yes. can share that. That's kind of what I felt like this was doing. I think every TV show that has any kind of supernatural or sci-fi element has an episode where someone lives a whole life in the matter of a day. Yes. In some way, form, or fashion, that happens in every of that kind of TV show. All right, so what are you going to grade Wolverine and the X-Men number eight? It's only going to get four out of six. Okay, I'm going to give it three out of six claws. I was going to give it three out of six too, but the art was so much better the art, than the last one. Well, better than part of the last one. Yes, better than part of the I last agree, one. the art was great. And the story wasn't bad. It was kind of forgettable. I guess the thing that, that made it a four for me was when Wolverine admits to Storm that he's sorry it took him so long to get over Jean. Yeah, I don't like that because I don't like Wolverine being in love with Jean, but... Well, I don't like Jean Grey at all. <laughs> but I don't know. I kind of, I started to go, aww. It's the idea that like Wolverine coming to the conclusion that he needed to let go so he could learn to love. Right. Okay. Well, that is And the X-Men. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> 
Okay, next up we have X marks the spot with Amazing X-Men number 10 and Adjectiveless X-Men number 18. Adjectiveless? Yeah, there's no no Amazing, no Uncanny. Just X-Men. Just X-Men number 18. But first we have Amazing X-Men number 10. www.windigoatemybaby.com <laughs> Just kidding. World War Windigo, part three World and five. World War Windigo, part three and five, which is written by Craig Kyle and Chris Yost, who I just found out this is going to be their only story arc. Really? Yep, pencilers, Carlo Barbary and Yvonne Cello. Good job. That would be the best guess I could. All right. Inkers are Walden Wong and Yvonne Cello. Dun, dun, dun. Colors by Rochelle Rosenberg. Letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. And like lasagna. Straight from his Twitter mouth. And the cover is by Barbary and Rosenberg. And let's talk about this cover. Colossus is getting groped by a bunch of Wendigos with funky fingernails. I was going to say, they need a mani-pedi. Yeah, that's issue number 11. Oh, w- they all Wendigos go to, the spa? go to L.A. <laughs> Wendigos go to the spa. Yes. They get a trim on their hair. It's going to be the new reality bed. show on Bravo. <gasps> the Real Housewives of the Windigos. <laughs> Love it. I'm going to make a t-shirt out of that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make a little Windigo holding a bunch of bags and purses and high heels. Going, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> All right, so what happens in part three of five? Oh, what doesn't happen in part three of five? So we find... I remember Wolverine got turned into a Wendigo. Yes, and he stabbed... Uh, uh, Talisman? Yes, and everyone just kind of went, oh. So uh, we find... Don't! Don't! So we find North Star and the little girl that he saved lying in a crater with a bunch of evil Wendigo hands. yeah. Trying to like, ooh, hello, my pretty. And he starts thinking, well, I didn't think I'd die with a kid. Not my kid. I didn't think I'd die with a kid. It's not mine. <laughs> I swear. Um, and then we, we flash back to 20 minutes earlier. And the X-Men are fighting the Wendigos. They're fighting the Wendigos. And of course, they're fighting the Wolvie Windy. Yeah, the Wolvie Windy. Yeah. Or the Windy Wolvie. The Windy Wolvie. Uh-huh. The what, 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 what? Anyway, Nightcrawler bamfs him about, I love how precise they are, 2.2 miles. Not just about a mile away, (laughs) 2.2. So obviously Nightcrawler's a runner. Well, maybe he's not a runner because then it would have been 2.25. Anyway, Nightcrawler comes back and they're like, how long do you think it'll take? And he's like, however long it's going to take him to come back 2.2 miles. So they're fighting the Wendigos. We flash over to... Thor and Iron Man. And Captain America. And Captain America. At the U.S.-Canada border. And they're like, uh, yeah, they're here. And they fight, and they ask about... Well, they say they know it's a spell, and they need a magician. Right. A mystic. And how come Doctor Strange isn't answering the phone? And we get a very random one random? full-page spread. Try uber random. Yeah. Of why Doctor Strange can't answer the phone. And he's throwing up a book and... Being impaled yeah, by light. I have no idea if this is something that's concurrent with like a different story. I have no idea. Well, are these little Wendigos on his little... Are they just little demons? No, it's just one of his, his little fire friends. Okay, so thing. he's um, floating in space, eating green light, vomiting books... We're good. He's busy. Yeah. It's a typical Saturday night at the Sanctum Sanctorum. Yeah. 
Uh, so we flash over to North Star, who's trying to help the girl, but they get into a little scuffle with some windigos, right. and he thinks, oh, the end is near, and a bright, shiny light flashes. It's Alpha Flight. That's right. The original Alpha Flight. Yes. North Star makes some his weird... His sister gives him a hard time. Yeah, because he makes some comments. Well, like, yeah. mm. well, basically, at the beginning of the book, when North Star is laying there with the girl, he's like, this death is beneath me. Yes. And then his twin sister shows up and is like, this is so beneath us. <laughs> hmm. This kind of shows how they like have the same thought process. So our X-Men are fighting the Wendigos. I like how a uh, Guardian suit, like you see the wire meshing under his suit. And basically Storm says, okay, you can hurt him now, just don't kill him. Right. She's so Wolvie Wendy uh, slices Rock Slide's face off. Ouch. Need some glue? <laughs> That's one of my favorite lines. Iceman asks him if he needs some glue. Which, how does he stick his head back on? Because rocks don't magically like... Oh, he can. Oh, he's magic rock. Yeah, he's magic rock. Okay, so then they decide so to Colossus do... does a fastball special. Yeah, so Wolvie Windy goes... Colossus gets a big old grin. They have a little break in the fight and Talisman saying something they don't quite understand. So yes, Rachel... the wound of the mountain where shadow rest eternal. So Rachel decides to kind of mind meld with her to figure out what she's trying to say. And so where the shadow rests eternal, there you will find him, a cave, an entrance to the spirit realm. And Puck says, do something. Now remember, there, his booty call when Talisman was interrupted by all this. Yes. So. And of course, they ask Firestar to do something that apparently she's very uncomfortable with, which is cauterizing Talisman's wounds. Yeah, that was an interesting use of her power. Yeah, I did too. In fact, I thought, well, that was kind of brilliant, actually. That's um, why Storm's the leader. So the X-Men hook up with Alpha Flight. Well, Alpha Flight kind of fills them in on what happened. Right. Yeah. And we find out that, yeah, the guy got shoved in the meat grinder. That meat got shipped out and all these people ate it. Yep. Boom. Outbreak. Yep. Don't pet the monkey. We get the parameters. <laughs> yeah, right. You don't pet it. Spank the monkey. <laughs> Uh, we get the parameters of the curse. Captain America, you know, they've been fighting these guys at the border. And what they don't realize is a Wendigo runs across the border. And when he enters the U.S., he turns back into a normal person. So I had two thoughts. My first thought was, if it was me, I'd I'd stand at the edge like bait. Right, with, the, with meat on a hook. Yeah, like, hey, come on and over. I'd throw it across, and then I'd reel it back in on my fishing pole. Yeah. Then my other thought was, let's say the Wendigo crosses over, becomes human. If they go back into Canada, are they a Wendigo again? My solution is that Canada temporarily just says, we're not Canada anymore, we're the U.S. And boom, <laughs> all Wendigo's gone. Right, it's no longer Canadian soil. So don't have a problem. this border right here is not like an eternal border. No. <laughs> I mean, we'll just push it back a couple feet. It was established feet. at some point. Yeah. Right. Just yeah. sign some paperwork. Somebody yeah. takes over. It doesn't have to be the U.S. It could be Mexico. It could be yeah. England. Yeah. Seed it back to the queen. Yeah. Problem solved. Solving world problems yep. right here, right now on the podcast. You got a problem, yo, I'll solve it. Check out the hook as my DJ revolves as it. As the Windico revolves it. Doom, 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 doom. <laughs> no, no, it's not, it's not It's not copyright infringement. It's got this hi-hat on the end. And we called it a Windigo. Yeah, yeah. So Manila Ice is safe from Queen, and we're safe from Manila Ice. That's right. Yep. 
Passing the buck, baby. <laughs> anyway, um, so they all go looking for the whole of the realm of the spirit world. Yeah, and meanwhile they fight Wendigos. We send a big team in to distract, and then Storm and Guardian are going to go find the doorway. And they do find the doorway, because yeah. they're in the spirit realm. And then we see this creepy little, you know he's evil, because he has... Abominable snowman. Yeah, and he says, soon, my children, soon we will feed on the entire world. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now, he's got a scar, just like Wolvie Windy. Well, he's got two little claw marks. He also reminds me... What is that me, shadow? Oh, he's got one here, and he's got one on his... Like his, like this way. Oh yeah. So it went all the way down as the whip. Okay. But he also kind of reminds me of like the windy version of Sabretooth. A little bit. Yeah. I don't think there'll be a connection, but it's definitely similar in appearance. So yeah. So that's World War Wendigo Part Three of Five. www.wendigoatemybaby.com. The Wendigo ate my baby. I love the art. I liked it a lot, too. I had trouble telling the difference. I think I know that the end is Yvonne and Shadow and the Barbary is the beginning, but not a 100% sure of that either. They look very similar, art-wise. They do look similar. I thought it was good. I really liked uh, Nightcrawler's fighting stances and poses. Yes. For one thing. Um, very acrobatic, fit Nightcrawler to a T. So what did you think of the story? I thought it was good enough. It is good enough. I, I guess I kind of felt like there's certain parts that they're dragging. A little bit. I'm not real sure this should be a five-parter. Yeah. I'm kind of but, thinking more like three. But, you know, they got to make a trade. Yeah. So. <laughs> so, yes, I like the story. I think it's a little drawn out here and there, but I did think they had some awesome dialogue. Yeah, and that was a nice, fun, kind of classic-feeling X-Men story. And it was a fairly quick read. Yeah, it was. You know, sometimes I'm like, oh, am I, am I at the end? But this one was not like that. So, and I do think it was well written. I had some laugh out loud moments. Yeah, yeah, some good dialogue. Yeah. Pretty good action overall. We'll see what the big baddie is. So what are you going to grade Amazing X-Men number 10? I'm going to give it five out of six. Okay, I'm going to give it four out of six claws. We're like one off yeah, every time. Pretty close. All right, so real fast, I'm going to talk about X-Men number 18. I was not asked to read this one, FYI. I, I didn't say you couldn't. I said you didn't have to. I said, do I need to read that one? And you went. I said, nah. <laughs> you made a face. Wolverine is in a panel. All right, so this is written by Mark Guggenheim, penciled by Harvey... Tadoblau. I have no idea how you say that. Sorry, Harvey. Yep, sorry. Are you the giant rabbit? <gasps> Ooh. When Jimmy Stewart? I love he, Jimmy Stewart. Does he drink Harvey right. Wallbangers? Anyway, um, the inkers are Ed Tadeo and Craig Jung, and then the colors are by Paul Mounts, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna, and the cover is by the Dodsons. That'd be Terry and Rachel. That's really a pretty cool cover. It's the uh, X-Men adjectiveless lost in space in their spacesuits and they're kind of panicky. Kind of looks like an old like sci-fi space horror feel to it. Pretty nice cover. Uh, the art in the book is pretty good overall. Basically, um, the ladies of X are called to the, the peak, which is the sword headquarters, because Deathbird's body has been recovered. And when they get there, they're trying to read her mind. We're reminded that Deathbird is Rachel's aunt by marriage. Which, I don't remember that. Did she marry um, Vulcan in one of those stories I didn't read? (laughs) 
Anyway, uh, so they, there's a part where they read her mind because she's comatose. And we see all this stuff, including a flashback from the time with the Brood Saga where she tried to take over the Shi'ar Empire. And the X-Men in their fancy space clothes are fighting them, including uh, Wolverine. That's where he is. I will say, though, that pa- is a full page of them reading her mind. It's a pretty cool page. It's a really nice, nice artwork. So then the uh, Sindri uh, bounty hunters show up. They're the ones that look like a cross between a bug and a manta ray. And uh, so they attack the, the spaceship and they're after Death Bird because she's pregnant and they want her child. Right? So like I said, the art was pretty good. Story was good enough. We'll see where it goes. It's basically just them going to find Death Bird on the, on the peak. And then they find out she's pregnant. That's our big reveal. I'm assuming her husband is the father. Maybe. I mean, that would make sense if it is Vulcan because then the Sindri are after another Summer's baby. Ooh. So that actually is kind of interesting, I guess. So I will give X-Men number 18. Um, I'll give it three out of six claws. I think it, right. it, it could go up, but we'll see where it goes. All right. Well, so that is X marks the spot. I shot the Watcher, but I did not shoot Nick Fury. Although maybe I should have. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Um, That's right. It's time for our Original Sin update. Update, update. Original Sin number seven of eight, The Last Battleground, or Nick Fury versus the World. Written by Jason Aaron, art by Mike Diodato, colors by Frank Martin, Letters by VCs Chris Eliopoulos. The cover by Julian Tatino Tedesco. That's a mouthful. And this cover is still pretty good, I guess, but it's the most different of the covers so far. It is different. Tonally, it's just very different. It's basically Old Man Cable Fury. So in this, our penultimate chapter, we get a little background on what actually happened to the Watcher. Uh, the orb took his guys to the moon. They fought the Watcher. We get more fighty fight between the Avengers and Nick Fury. Less talk, more rock is the motto of the day, so they don't let anybody explain anything. Um, <laughs> we find out that the Watcher um, actually defeated the bad guys, but then the orb shot him in the head. But that's not when he died. Actually, Nick Fury found him, and then we kind of are left hanging. But there's a bunch of watchers circling over the base. So really, they still see everything. Well, and they're, they, they're probably mad that they killed the watcher, Watu, that was stationed there. So, yeah, the art's really good. Again, color's really good. Uh, we have some tie-ins to some other Jason Aaron books. Like, for example, uh, Nick Fury whispers something to Thor, and he can no longer pick up his hammer, which plays into Jason Aaron's Thor series. Well, we're getting a new female Thor because Thor is now unworthy. Uh, poor Thor. Yeah. So whenever Nick Fury... We're not worthy. Whenever Nick Fury worthy. told him, took away his mojo. That's sad. Yeah. Well, and then he also whispered something to Stark, and he's now headed back to Earth. Yes. Yeah. And that's probably going to lead into the new Superior Iron Man, which is coming up soon, where he's all... Even more of a jerk than usual. Uh, there is a really cool spiral like, spiral panel with the Avengers attacking Nick Fury standing on an asteroid. It's pretty badass. It and is. Wolverine looks awesome. We have some other... Although there's a flaw in Wolverine's what? drawing. Okay, so Wolverine has this bubble helmet and his cowl sticks out of it. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it does. I didn't even notice that. I was all like, well, I guess there's some kind of like uh, airlock around his claws. No. 
But, but no, his cowl definitely should not stick out. <laughs> yeah, I I saw that and was like, mm, somebody didn't way? think this through. I don't remember that in the last in the last issue. Is it that way every time they show him? They only show him once. You no, know, there's a part where he talks about how Nick Fury ruined the um, sanctity of meat night. I thought that was Captain America. Yeah, there's see, there's Wolverine's cowls inside his helmet. So anyway. I will say, I so on the iPad, you know, you can read it page by page or you can double tap. Can you zoom in on what he's whispered to Thor? It's blurred out. Well, hang on. Aldar Kendall? Does that make sense? I don't know what it says. All right. I thought the art was really, really good. I've been loving the art. So I will say on the iPad, you know, you can read page by page view or you can read, um, you can double tap and like you get a screen. Right, you read panel by panel. Right. And so when I was flipping through it, the way it moves, I thought, this is really cool. I need to like tap out. Tap out. To see the whole page. And I do like, I like how they've kind of put things on angles and like blurred out the edges. Yeah. The layout of the book is fantastic. It's a very visually interesting book. Yes. And it looks fantastic. Although it does get a little, because it does it through almost the entire book, it's not just one or two pages. Right. It does get hard on the eyes after a while. Okay, I can see that. Hard on the the floating eyeballs in space. Yes. That Spider-Man thwips. They're they're dry. They they need some (laughs) visine. He's like, "Uh, is it okay if I throw off my helmet? (laughs) So basically Nick Fury says he's not sorry. We get a little bit of insight barely into his motivation. By the way, I was, not that I'm all that creative or ingenious, but I I was right. The new Winter Soldier series that's coming up is apparently going to be him taking over Nick Fury's job. Um, I don't know. I'm losing interest in this rather quickly. Yeah, I am too. So what are you going to grade Original Sin number seven? I was only going to get three out of six. Yep. I'm going to give three out of six to almost all entirely for the art. Yeah, because the story, I I had a really hard time. To me, it was just jibber-jabber. All right. Oh, but one thing we should mention, since we are a Wolverine podcast, a podcast that goes next. Of course, we already know this, but Nick Fury does tell Captain America, did you know Wolverine killed his own kids? Yes. So, you know, we should at least probably throw that out there, that that's in the book. Yeah. So. Besides his cowl not fitting in his helmet. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and he does have claws in space. Yes. All right. So we got all our Wolverine covered. So that that's it. This is going to be it for our original sin update. I shot the Watcher, but I did not shoot Nick Fury. Okay. So next up, we have Uncanny Avengers number 23. Let's get well. Written by Rick Remender. Art by Sir Green. Colors by Dean White. Letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. And the cover is by Augustine Alicio. I have no idea if I said that right. I apologize if I did it. I think it's a pretty sweet cover of it. So check it out. All right. So we're done with our remainder opus about the apocalypse twins and all that. But we're not really ever done, are we? So, some time has passed, and we've caught up to Remender's other story in Captain America. So, we have an old Steve Rogers. Janet and Scarlet Witch took a sabbatical, and Havoc, Rogue, Sunfire, and Banshee have been in stasis. They're going to wake them up. Logan greets Janet on her arrival, tells her that, you know, I know it's tough, you know, lost. Remember, her and Havoc lost their daughter from Planet X. But Logan tells her she's a tough bird. She kind of wrestles with whether she's going to blame Alex, whether she can still love him. Of course, he's going to be um, disfigured from his burning of the cosmic energy or whatever. 
But as soon as he wakes up, she looks into his eyes and she's still in love. I do like the new Sunfire design. You know, last time he was kind of just like an updated human torch. But now he actually has like a look and he has actually dig this design quite a bit. Him and Logan have a chat. Logan says, fate always dishes me a lot of pain, but there's no time to whine about it. Kind of typical Logan, but it's good. Then Scarlet Witch is going to try to extract Wonder Man's consciousness from Rogue, but it doesn't work. Rogue pitches a fit, understandably. She doesn't want to repeat what happened with Carol Danvers, and honestly, as a reader, I'm not sure I want to repeat it either, but we'll see where Remender goes with it. I thought it was interesting when Rogue starts to overreact, or not overreact, to react strongly, uh, Wolverine pops his claws. I know it's kind of his instinct. And I think that's what they're going for, is that whenever anything kind of starts to go down, he just automatically pops his claws. That's who he is. And that's fine. I mean, it's Rogue. It's one of his best friends. Anyway, so she runs off. She's going crazy. Scarlet Witch finds her, says she's sorry. She'll do whatever she can to get Simon out, because, you know, the, that's the man she loves. She doesn't want him to be lost inside Rogue forever either. And until they figure it out, she will be there for Rogue no matter what, all the time. And then um, Janet and Alex are having some heart-to-heart, and Immortus shows up and says he can protect the timelines and they can have their daughter back. Maybe not the daughter they've had, but they can rehab her, like the exact soul, like they can recreate what happened in the alternate future and this future. But to do that, they have to love each other, they have to conceive at a certain time, and they have to defeat the Red Skull or no one has a future at all. And then uh, we go over to the Red Skull and we're talking about his plans with um, Zola. And he talks about the mutant army trapping the Avengers, which I think is what just happened in the last issue of Captain America. I think that's what they're referring to. And he's going to send his S-Men after the X-Men, which I think happens in upcoming Uncanny X-Men, maybe. Or maybe it just waits for Axis. I'm not sure. But either way, we're all, we're kind of setting up everything for Axis. It's going to be kind of the next big story. And he's talking to Ahab. Ahab's future was one of the futures where mutants were in concentration camps. And I guess he shared this idea with Red Skull. And Red Skull's a little bit jealous that he didn't think of it first. You know, being a Nazi and a master in concentration camps. <laughs> so anyway, the story was pretty good. The art was okay. Not really my cup of tea. But then I feel bad because he dedicated this issue to a friend of his family's, Jacoby who was a kid that was killed on a playground, and he loved the Avengers, and there's a really sweet little kind of poster or pinup or whatever that he drew of this kid on the Hulk shoulders with Iron Man and Captain America. Those are his three favorite heroes. So that was really touching. There's even a part where Rogue's flying through the city when we see the kid again on his dad's shoulders with his whole family, and that was really touching. So I'll just say the art, I was lukewarm on. It wasn't bad, but I'm not going to run out and make this guy my favorite artist either. But it, it got the job done. And his Red Skull was interesting. It's kind of sketchy, kind of like indie style. So, you know, a lot of people probably really dig it more than me. And that's that's groovy. Anyway, I'm going to give Uncanny Avengers number 23. Basically kind of a um, kind of an old school classic Claremont-like downtime but there's still action issue in between big stories. That's kind of what it felt like, and it felt good. So I'm going to give Uncanny Avengers number 23, four out of six claws. Okay, next up, we have Where's Logan? And he's a little bit everywhere. Uh, He's pretty busy for a dead man walking, making guest appearances in five different books this month. We have Miss Marvel number seven, Storm number two, Nightcrawler number five, Magneto number 8, and Superior Spider-Man number 32. 
All right. So, Miss Marvel number seven, part two of what's it called? Healing Factor, part two of two. This is written by G. Willow Wilson with art by Jacob Wyatt. Ian Herring does the colors. VC's Joe Caramagna does the letterers. And then Jamie McKelvey and Matthew Wilson did the cover. It is a pretty sweet cover. It's uh, Kamala Khan taking a selfie on her iPhone um, herself in her Miss Marvel costume and Wolverine on their adventure together. And of course, she is smiling real big, has her arm over Wolverine's shoulders, and he is scowling. <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah, and so this issue, basically, it just picks up. You know, Wolverine was was tracking down one of his runaway or lost students, ran into Ms. Marvel, they ran into a giant alligator, uh, they defeat the alligator, they wander through the sewers, they find the inventor, they're trying to find his power source, and turns out it's the mutant that Wolverine was hunting. And so the inventor is not just like a little cult leader. He's uh, abducting kids and using them. So Wolverine and Miss Marvel save her. And Miss Marvel says, you know what, Wolverine, I got this. I'll call you if I need help. You take this girl home. I'll go find the rest of the kids. This is my city. I'm going to protect it. And Wolverine's like, all right, I'm keeping an eye on you. And then uh, we go to Atelan, or Adelan, I guess, depending on how you say it. And Captain America has gone to visit Medusa, Queen of the Inhumans. So, so basically, on our adventure, Miss Marvel reveals kind of her origin, that she was just normal, and then she ran into this gas, and then she had powers, and Wolverine puts it together that she's an Inhuman, one of the new Inhumans after Infinity. But Miss um, Marvel doesn't know what she is, and Wolverine doesn't tell her. But he calls Captain America and tells him, and he, Captain America, tells Medusa, and he says, it's not... And Medusa's like, oh, well, we all humans are welcome here. We'll go get her. And Cap's like, I don't think that's what Wolverine wants. I think he just wants you to kind of keep an eye on her. Like, she's doing her good thing, and she's doing fine. But, you know, she doesn't need to be completely alone. So just kind of keep tabs, and if she needs help, jump in. And Medusa says, fine, I won't bring her here, but I'll send Lockjaw to watch her. And that's what they're going to do. I went through that really fast and didn't talk a lot about the conversation, but I have to say, Miss Marvel number seven may just be the perfect comic book. Kind of the bunny thing that Wolverine has is in full effect, and it gives advice, both Wolverine skewed and really good advice. And there's a couple of times where Miss Marvel's like, oh, you're the best, and you're the coolest, and you're right. And there's a couple of times where she disagrees with him. He says something about, because she asks, she laments that she had to hurt the giant alligator to put it down. Wolverine's like, sometimes if you don't hurt other people, you get hurt. The pain has to go somewhere. You just have to decide where. And she's like, um, I want to be a little more optimistic than that. Which is funny because Wolverine's my favorite character. I actually agree with her. But then there's a point later where, what does he say? Oh, where he says your true power is not your power. Your true power is that when you get knocked down, you stand back up. It's your character. Like all these superpowers are nice. They're all icing on the cake. But it's who you are that's your true power. And she's like, ah, you're wise. (laughs) I don't know, just the conversation between them is is just is brilliant. We get a nice double snicked where Wolverine jumps after the giant alligator. At one point, we have one of those scenes. Oh, so she's going to carry him because he can't really swim. He goes, even when I'm in full health and I'm not after this fight, it's hard for me to swim because, you know, metal bones. She's like, oh, just carry me. 
And he's like, okay, we don't tell anyone. And she's like, too late. I already, I think she says pictogrammed, which is the Marvel way of, of getting around not saying Instagram. But, you know, that's pretty much what it is. And he's like, ugh. <laughs> You know, they talk about his healing factor and all that. And there's a scene where they're climbing through the sewers and it makes like a, a maze. I don't know what you call it. You kind of follow the conversation up the page and they travel through the different rooms of a sewer. But it's all like laid out. It looks really cool. And it's a really good conversation. Then they're trapped by the, uh, what's his name? The inventor. But they find the power source, and the power source is the girl. That's when the rescuer. So anyway, it's just, it's a great comic. And Miss Marvel's personality, um, some of the um, ADD teenage girl was dialed back just a bit. She still had a lot of personality. She was still quippy. She was, she was quippy quip with the quips. But it wasn't too, I don't know. It, just, it was more subtle, this issue, I thought, the last issue. And so it worked a lot better for me. And so some of the parts of her personality that were annoying in issue six, I found really endearing in issue seven. And I don't know. It was a very subtle difference. I just, I don't know. I enjoyed number six. I loved number seven. I think it's perfect. Uh, the art's great. Everybody who's a Wolverine fan at all should read this. The way he relates to Miss Marvel is spot on. It's just great. Um, the way he kind of tattles on her, but then makes it clear that um, he wants her to be kind of left alone uh, to do her thing. It's just, it's a great issue. She's a great character. Uh, Miss Marvel number seven, I give six out of six claws. Cannot recommend it more. Um, Storm number two is written by Greg Pak or Pak. I'm still not sure how to say it. Uh, Victor Ibanez is the artist or Ibanez. Ruth Redmond is the colorist. VCs Corey Pettit. <laughs> Denise just woohooed from the other room is the letterer. And the cover is by Victor Ibanez. And it's Storm walking through a sewer, making a little flashlight with her lightning ball, and Callisto's coming up behind her with a knife. And basically, we start off with Storm and Wolverine on a date in the meatpacking district of New York City. And, um, they're talking about how, uh, I guess in Storm number one, she kind of made a little bit of trouble, or got in a little bit of trouble. And Wolverine's like, you're getting wild, Aurora. I like it. But I worry. If she says, you're the one who lost his healing factor, I should worry about you. He's like, yeah, I'm fine. And she just says, basically, she's been, she's tired of holding it in and being what other people expect. She's going to be herself. And Wolverine's like, I knew you had a little bit of bad girl from the day I met you. And she says, oh, you're just a bad influence on me. <laughs> and, you know, they dance and the bar owner's like, hey, no dancing in this bar. And she makes a big storm outside, and Wolverine's like, temper, temper. Um, and then he says he's got to leave on a little mission. I'm going to assume it's a Miss Marvel mission, because that's how I roll. She's like, you want me to come? You always have my help whenever you need it. He's like, nah, I like that you're on the edge, but I don't want to pull you too far into my kind of crazy town. And they kiss. He's about to leave, but she yanks on his collar and says, hold on, I forgot something. And she kisses him even harder. And he's like, okay, you can go now. He's like, yeah. He's a little taken aback, but in a good way. And he walks out into the storm. So Storm's out just kind of wandering around, trying to figure out what, how she's going to spend the rest of her evening. And she finds a poster for a missing kid, and she flashes back to when she was trapped under rubble and had to watch her mom die, and she doesn't want that to happen. So she tracks the kid's last whereabout. And the lady's worried. Uh, the girl just turned 19, so the police aren't really doing anything. Sometimes adults get lost on purpose they say. But she feels like something's up because she left her phone. So Storm takes the phone, 
sends it to Beast, recalls Beast, and he uses his uh, scientific technological prowess and traces the phone. The last call was to a new phone with no um, contract, I guess. And Storm's like, oh, well, if she got a new phone, she was seen if it worked. And Beast locates the new phone, says if she's getting lost, she's not doing a good job. So Storm changes her uniform, follows the location into the sewer, and figures out, uh-oh, there's three other missing persons Beast found, all in the same place. And she's attacked by Callisto, and she assumes the worst, fights Callisto, follows her into a secret room with a bunch of new Morlocks, only to find out these aren't new Morlocks, they're just runaway kids. And Callisto has built a home for them with bunk beds and games and books and school and everything. And turns out she was a little um, impetuous, Storm was. And what Callisto's doing isn't all bad. And Callisto says, hey, I'm not a mutant anymore. We're not Morlocks. We're just a bunch of rejects just trying to live peacefully. I'm not kidnapping anybody. And it's funny because Storm talks about the first time she met Callisto when she kidnapped Angel, which I just read those issues, reread those issues again, uh, getting ready uh, for our next flashback episode, which we won't cover because Wolverine's not in those, but it made me reminiscent and nostalgic for when Storm was um, one tough cookie when she uh, bested Callisto and took over as Queen of the Morlocks. Kind of missed that Storm sometimes, and it was good to see that kind of reference in this issue as well. Um, but basically, she decides that she was wrong. She helps them clean up her mess, and then she tells Callisto that she's going to send not help, just some supplies. Then she talks to Beast. Turns out Beast um, found the boyfriend that the girl was running away from and says, you know what? She has nothing to come back up above to. And this guy was trash. And um, Beast found some bad stuff he was doing on his phone, his computer, and he accidentally emailed it from the guy's email address to the police with a full confession. And the guy got arrested. So then Storm finds Wolverine. He's like, oh, hey, in costume, you've been making trouble. And she's like, oh, it's nothing I need to talk about. I don't want to pull you too far into my kind of crazy town. Kind of turns the tables. And Wolverine's like, I knew you were a bad girl. And Storm's like, nope, I'm good. I'm very good. And it's a great issue. Uh, Greg Pack or Puck does a really good job with Storm and Wolverine's relationship. I really like the way he handles it. And the way he kind of turns it on her ear. She's trying to be a hero, but she makes a mess and then has to clean it up and does a good job. And I like his Storm. So I'm going to give Storm number two, five out of six claws. Nightcrawler number five. Written by Chris Claremont. Art by Todd Nauck. Colors by Rochelle Rosenberg. Letters by VCs Joe Sabino. Another cover by Jamie McKelvey and Matthew Wilson. And it's based on the Uncanny X-Men cover of Kitty Pride by Paul Smith. I forget what number. Maybe it's 169, I think. Or 170, I don't remember. But it's the one where Kitty kind of rejoins the X-Men. Professor X kicks her off or devotes her to the New Mutants. And she... uh, Fighting some more monsters and comes back up anyway. Instead of being surrounded by monsters, it's Nightcrawler in front of a blackboard up against the board. He has wadded up paper and paper airplanes thrown at him. I really like the way, because his tail's coming up behind him on one side, the paper airplanes coming down against him on the other side, and they make like two little arrows pointing at his head. Very symmetrical. I like it. It's a nice cover. So basically, Nightcrawler's trying to figure out what his new role is going to be at the school now that he's back. 
And he has a flashback. He's playing a very lonely nighttime game of baseball by himself with the Vance. And he's teleporting around to all the different positions. He like pitches and then teleports and hits his own pitch. Um, but he reminisces of the days of old. When during their downtime, the X-Men would play baseball all together. And there's a part where Wolverine's a pitcher, and that's kind of our only Wolverine appearance. And Nightcrawler is trying to figure out what he's going to do with the school. And it turns out he's going to help lead at Danger Room sessions with Rachel. And we meet a bunch of new and old students that we've been introduced before, including Rico, who I was one of the students I enjoyed from last issue that looked really cool. He's like a big scorpion guy with wings and kind of a bug face. Anyway, they all fight in the danger room. Then we meet the Crimson Pirates, who sound familiar. I think they've been in the X-Men before. Maybe in the early 2000s, maybe? Anyway, Storm is giving Nightcrawler charge over one of the Blackbirds, the old Blackbird from Kurt's heyday. And he fixes it up and takes it a ride, but Rico comes up and is like, hey, what you doing? He's like, shouldn't you be in bed? He's like, ah, I don't sleep. And he complains about how he's so um, different looking, and Nightcrawler kind of feels for him, you know, for a long time. He's scared a lot of the X-Men and other students, and Rico's kind of in the same boat. He's a giant scorpion dude, kind of scary. So he takes a media liking to him and kind of takes him under his wing, and they get the Blackbird together to take it for a test flight. And then Storm says, hey, we got a new mutant. Can y'all track her down? Go introduce yourself. He's like, yep. And we find out this mutant is who these Crimson Pirates are after. That's where we leave off. Art is great. Again, Todd Nauck's kind of the perfect artist for this book. The Pirates and Story, it's Claremonti. is good and bad nowadays. I'm going to give Nightcrawler number five, three out of six claws. Magneto number eight. Is written by Colin Bunn, art by Javier Fernandez, colors by Dan Brown, letters by VCs, Woohoo, Corey Pettit, and the cover is by Declan Chalvey or Declan Chalvey and Jordi Belair. He's been doing a bang up job with these Magneto covers. This one is Magneto on the ground, and he's kind of pulling his costume to him, like on him in the little metal bits, and he's kind of making a big boom, and there's red kind of concentric growing circles around him in the background. And big metal letters, Magneto, it's a really striking, nice color. The Fresh Prince and Jordy Belair's colors are awesome as usual. I'm a Magneto. The S.H.I.E.L.D. team is caught up to him with the Predator X. Kind of ring that he busted up and they're following him around. Our Wolverine appearance is another flashback. Magneto's kind of going through his history as he tracks down an MGH factory and he confronts the guy. The guy's like, oh, whoa, hold on. This isn't what it seems. I know your reputation, but I also know you've taken a downturn. You're not this big bag Magneto you used to be. So cut the crap. He says, besides, yes, we're making MGH from dead mutants, but we're not killing them. Then come to us dead. That's point A. Point B. We're not the top dog. You take us out, someone else will take our place. Typical kind of drug runner type stuff. And Eno's like, that's all fine and good, but I'm, I'm climbing the ladder. I've been climbing the ladder, taking people out. Why would I stop with you? And he's like, yeah, I guess you're right. So his goons have all injected themselves with MGH and turned into mutants, and they're about to attack Magneto. But then S.H.I.E.L.D. comes running through the skylight. Um, turns out the Magneto had, at the Predator X place, had gotten information off the computer and then destroyed everything, but S.H.I.E.L.D. was able to piece it back together and get the same information. They show up and they take down the mutants and they're going to take down Magneto. They've got plastic guns and plastic bullets, you know, Magneto-proof weapons. Um, Magneto's like, well, that's all fine and good, but you're still nervous, Agent Haynes. And they're like, how do you know who we are? And, of course, his um, new partner knew all about the S.H.I.E.L.D. 
task force assigned to defeat him, Magneto brings up a great point. He says, is it fear or is it doubt? Perhaps he realized deep down that if S.H.I.E.L.D. would, would waste less time chasing me and spend more time policing this kind of atrocity, no one would ever need to speak my name again. And he makes a big magnetic storm. Maybe he's not as powerful as he used to be, but he's still pretty powerful. And he disappears. And we go back to his lab with his little partner. And he took the cook with him. And he's like, why'd you leave me alive? What do you want with me? And he's like, I don't want you dead. I want you to perfect your formula and make it something that doesn't give me powers, but helps restore my powers to their former glory. I'm really digging this Magneto book. It reads like a great TV series, kind of a slow building story with single adventures, like single episodes, but then slowly building to a bigger picture. I love this book. I'm going to give Magneto number eight. I like the series. I like where it's going. I'll give this particular episode five out of six claws. All right, Superior Spider-Man, number 32. Wait, that series is over. Oh, it's back. Just in time for Spider-Verse. Dan Slott does the plot. Christus Gage does the script. Giuseppe Camincoli does the pencils. John Dell the inks. Antonio Fabella the colors. Chris Eliopoulos the letters. Oh, our cover is by... I guess also Giuseppe Camincoli. It's a pretty nice cover. It's the Superior Spider-Man in 2099. What's that about? But it's a really cool cover. So we find out in the back in whatever that issue that was, Superior Spider-Man 19, when he was bringing Spider-Man 2099 to the present, um, nature abhors a vacuum. So he went through the time stream. Um, we have some cool panels of old classic comic images, like uh, Days of Future Past. So that's one of our Wolverine appearances. But basically, temporarily, Superior Spider-Man went to 2099. And uh, he runs around and does some stuff and decides he can use this technology. And um, he makes like a little Anna Marie hologram that is kind of his assistant. Um, and he finds out, he kind of tries to jump through time or goes through time. And he finds that Morland's killing all these alternate Spider-Mans. And he's trying to figure out why. Actually, I don't think he knows it's Morlin. But he, he sees all these alternate Spider-Mans dying. And he decides he's going to protect them and collect them. And so he's the one that's going to make the army to fight Morlin. So it's Superior Spider-Man, not Peter Parker. Not our regular Spider-Man. It looks like he's kind of making the team that's going to be the crux of Spider-Verse. So I really like that that's the case. That it's Superior Spider-Man who's kind of taking the initiative and getting ready to fight Morland. I think that's really, really cool. The art was great. It's a great comic. Then we have an alternate story that's written by Christus Gage with art by Adam Kubert, colors by Ray Moreno, and letters by Chris Eliopoulos as our backup story. And we meet an alternate Spider-Man in an alternate timeline where basically he decided that he had to um, isolate himself and he's training with Wolverine and the Wolverine's in the yellow and brown costume and so they're sparring but then the Morland shows up and in a Days of Future Past reference he uh, disintegrates Wolverine down to his adamantium skeleton but Spider-Man tries to beat him but he can't but then Superior Spider-Man shows up and together they're able to take him out and he convinces this Spider-Man to come back with him and this is all just kind of a kickoff to Spider-Verse it's a pretty groovy comic of course Adam Kubert art never hurts or Cam and Coley art and the colors in the first part in the 2099 and during the time travel were really awesome so great job to Antonio Fabella. Anyway, I'm going to give Superior Spider-Man number 32. I really liked it. Of course, I love Superior Spider-Man. I'm going to give it five out of six claws. 
It's not going to do it for Where's Logan? Okay, so last but not least, we have our Wolverine Roundup, where we talk about other characters that are Snicks-related. So we have two appearances by X-23 and one by Sabretooth. X-23 will be an all-new X-Men number 30 and 31. Number 30 is written by Brian Michael Bendis, uh, guest art by Sarah Pacelli, uh, colors by Marte Gracia, letters by VCs Corey Pettit, Woohoo! and the cover is by Stuart Eminen, Wade Van Gravinger, and Marte Gracia, and I rather like this cover. I think it's awesome. Um, it's upside down, angel flying, with X-23 wrapped around him, and they're making out. Apparently, X-23 is aroused the same way Wolverine is. She has her claws out. We, you know, Wolverine pops his claws instead of popping a boner. <laughs> and uh, X-23 apparently does the same thing. I don't, I don't know why else she would have her claws out while she's making out with Angel. Protection? <laughs> But regardless, it's a pretty fantastic cover. It is fantastic. I kind of wish her hair was a little bit more... Um... Falling down? Yeah. <laughs> but maybe, though, if they're falling... Well, if he's doing loop-de-loops in the air, and this is like a snapshot of it, her hair may not have like fallen yet if they're going fast enough. Well, right. And if they're going down, though, the, the pressure is going to pull the hair up, which would be... Right. Down. <laughs> yeah. So... So I'm okay with the hair. But yeah, I think it's a great cover. So this issue is actually going to kind of catch us up to uh, Uncanny X-Men with the original Sin, Last Will and Testament of Professor X. Uh, We start off, uh, we have X-23 in bed in her PJs and Warren comes flying, Angel comes flying, young Angel, by the way, comes flying in the window and he says, Don't call me Angel of the morning, darling. Oh my goodness. Don't call me Angel. Oh my goodness. Who sings that song? Who cares? What's the um, name of that song? Don't call me Angel? I have no idea. Anyway, he shows up and apparently uh, they're getting it on. And the night before, remember last time Angel showed up on uh, his motorbike and took X-23 out and they went out clubbing to the Blackout Club. Ooh. Yeah, when you give people roofies. Juice um, What? Juice Newton. Juice Newton. Juice Newton. That's the name of the person that sings that. No wonder it sucks. Good grief. Anyway. Jealous. Yeah, some girl's rubbing on Angel's wings and she snarls at her and the girl like, like, and then Angel's dancing and his wing gets in some punk's way and this guy starts pulling on Angel and some guy tries to break a bottle over his head. X-23 pulls out the guy's nipple rings. Ow. Yeah, and then she goes, she starts kicking some ass. And smiling while she's at it. Oh, yeah, she's having fun. She's like her daddy, or her clone daddy. Yeah. <laughs> then someone pulls her hair, and she pops her claws, and Angel's like, um, let's not do that. And so we get an inaudible snap. I guess the music's too loud. Wait, what is it? Yeah. <laughs> So then they fly out, but X-23's having a blast. That was her idea of fun. Dancing and fighting. Yep. She what? is her father's daughter. I don't know daughter. how much of a dancer Wolverine is. But anyway, uh, so she says, you know, you're going to have to buy uh, Summers a new motorcycle. But it's funny because he can afford it, so it doesn't matter. Then they have some pillow talk, and she gets all emo. And she's like, why do you like me? I have all this trouble. And he's like, I don't care. Can't we just enjoy this? Yeah, this scene actually reminded me something out of uh, 
What, what? pretty little liars? No, Twilight. <laughs> oh. When it's all, why do you like me? I'm a vampire. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Wasn't quite that bad. But so then we have a uh, psychic standoff between young Jean Grey and Emma Frost. Emma Frost shows her uh, the first time she and Cyclops swept together and old Jean busted them. And she's like, why are you doing this to me? And then they fight, but then they laugh, I guess, over something. Then we get... Uh, Scott has a baby penis. <laughs> yeah, I'm assuming it's something like that. And um, he thinks he's such a man in bed when he really... <laughs> right. And then we get a little more of uh, uh, Kenny and Star-Lord's uh, holographic relationship. Now, that was interesting. I actually kind of like that relationship. Wait, who I is like. that? That's Peter Quill. He's Star-Lord from Guardians of the Galaxy. So wait, Kitty and Star-Lord are... They're an item right now, yeah. There was a crossover, and they met and... Are they crossing over because of the movie? No, it was before the movie. It was a trial of Jean Grey. We covered it uh, a little while back. I I covered it. Oh, I was like, why do I not remember this? (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, so they met and kind of had a thing for each other, so they're they're having a very long-distance relationship. You know, Ethan got this. Like, I was flipping through it, and he asked if that was Star-Lord, and I was like, no. I don't know who oh. that is. Well, you owe him an apology. Yes, so. he was right. And then everyone thinks this, talks about how weird it is that young Jean and Emma are friends. And then uh, the uh, Jean Grey school shows up and they need Cyclops to come. That's kind of where we left off in Uncanny X-Men. And we already kind of talked about. So, I don't think you've ever done an issue with Sarah Pacelli before. What did you think of her art? I thought the art was great. I Yeah, I'm a big Pacelli fan. I like her quite a bit. And of course, Grassi's colors are always awesome. So what do you think of, what, what do you think of Angel and X-23? In the beginning, I liked the idea of them together. Now I'm not 100% sure. I yeah, we'll see. I um, think it's just because I get it. They're opposites. She's, you know, right. wrong side She's of the street. She's the bad girl. He's the good guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's got all this money, and she doesn't care I'm about the I'm not really money. sure he is. I, wasn't he, like, in the old X-Men, like, this version of Angel, before he, quote-unquote, grew up? Wasn't he kind of like a player? I don't know. I think it's funny. She kind of t- says, well, I'm not really your type. And he's like, well, maybe not, but I like you. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to throw well, away did, the mold. I, so I did think it was really funny because, A, I agree with him. Because she says, well, Jean's prettier than me. And he's like, no, she's not. Yeah. Which, I agree. And then when she says, you're prettier than me, he's like, yes, yes, I am. <laughs> that, that was really funny. It was funny. But um, I guess that's the thing is, I guess X-23 would be, I don't see her being one of those girls that's like, so-and-so's prettier than I am. Like, I see her being like. I, I don't, I, I agree with you, but I also, just because of everything she's been through, and she's still on her journey trying to figure out, like, who she is and where she fits in, I can see her having a little bit of insecurity. Yeah, but I guess I see it, I can see her having the insecurity. I guess I saw it being brought out in a different more way. more defensive about yeah, it. Yeah, like, like, I thought you like well, those I'm, preppy girls. Right, or, yeah, or I'm, I'm prettier than she, like, I'm hotter than she is. Right. Yeah, and maybe, I, I don't I know. guess that whole, oh, she's prettier than, that just didn't seem like her. Had she been like, you know those mean girls? Right. <laughs> those seem your type. Bashing yeah, them you're, while... You're, you're a rich boy, right. Trying to get information at the same time. That seems more her style, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. So, all right. So, what do you think of the issue overall? Overall, I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. It was a quick read. Yeah. It went by pretty quick. A lot of conversation. Yeah, Which so, is fine. Business is good at conversation. Yeah. A lot of a lot of snark, a lot of snappy wit. So. Yeah. 
I don't feel like there was anything earth shattering other than Frost and uh, Eventually, Yang I Jean. hope we find out what they said that made them snicker. <laughs> Scott likes to wear his glasses. Besides, besides Scott having a little optic blast. <laughs> all right, well, what are you going to grade all new X-Men number 30? I'm torn between a four and a five. The art puts it at a five. The story to me puts it at a four. So I'm torn. We'll we'll give it five out of six. I'll err on the side of caution. For now, I like the relationships, so I'm going to also give it five out of six. We're just like we're being we're, we're agreeing a lot lately. Uh oh, something's right. wrong. All right, all new X Men number thirty one is also by Brian Michael Bendis, but now we have our new all new X Men artist. Remember, Eminem is going to switch over to Captain America or. Captain Falcon, and Mamoon Azrar is going to come over and do all new X-Men now, so this is his first issue. Uh, Marte Gracia and Jason Keith did the colors. VCs Corey Pettit Woo-hoo. does the letters. And then Eminem, Grabinger, and Gracia do the cover again. This is a really cool cover of Iceman. It is with Just his being an Iceman. frozen unit. Yeah. <laughs> what do you want, unfrozen junk? <laughs> when I was flipping through it, Ethan pointed out that he had nothing. Well, he's iced up over his clothes. He's not supposed to have anything. Okay. What do you want, an anatomically correct Iceman? Hey. He's, just, he's got Ken doll penis. A girl can ask. Okay, so we have a thing. I, you don't know much about the Ultimate Universe, do you? That would be crickets. Yeah. No. So the Ultimate Universe started back in the 2000-something, I think, or maybe late 90s. I don't really remember. Anyway, it was kind of... What if the Marvel Universe started now? It's like okay. basically an alternate timeline with a bunch of the same characters, but updated. A lot of the movies are based, have a lot of influence from the Ultimate Universe. Okay. So anyway, we start off with Ultimate Iron Man, and there's a bunch of crap going on over there. I don't actually read hardly any of it. Actually, I haven't read any of it at all in a long time. Anyway, they found a way to cross dimensions. And we go to our time, and... This kind of caught me off guard. We have X-23 and Angel flying back in, and she's all snappy with him. Which the last time we saw him, like, he was being all sensitive and like nice and yeah. joking around, but not like, I feel like, like immediately after that, off camera, like he just made fun of her the whole time. She's like, quit teasing me. Yeah. I don't know. I thought that was weird. Mostly because we didn't see it. Anyway, they land, and she asked him to be a gentleman. We see Scott... Uh, older Cyclops taken off to go read the will. So Iceman's like, so you're going to tell me what you did with the uh, hot Wolverine? <laughs> and then they all kind of walk off. Jean tries to be all girly girl with X-23. X-23 has nothing of it. But Jean says, well, good thing I'm a psychic. I'll just read your mind. Perv. Right. She's like, no, I'm happy for you. Warren's a great guy. And she's like, we'll see. And she goes, no, right now, over there, Iceman's asking for details, and he's not telling them. Good point. And X-23 says, a good guy. This is a completely new experience for me. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Beast is playing around with Cerebro, and they see a disturbance in the force. Uh-oh. Yep. And they don't know what's going on, but they're going to go check it out. So they fly off, and uh, I like the uh, Celeste says, when she sees the plane flying off, she goes, According to our psychic hive mind, that is the original X-Men and the one with the foot claws. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Going off on a mission no one told them to. And so there's some school, we find out later, is in Austin. 
and there's a new mutant, and her power is to open up an interdimensional wormhole. And so we see, actually, we see um, a bunch of uh, uh, House of M with um, Spider-Man, Wolverine, and Nightcrawler in the House of M days. Is that Rogue? Yeah, that's Rogue. And they're fighting some people. So that was interesting. And then we see, like, Asgard. It looks like a King Loki. Is that what's going on there? But then the X-Men show up, and they want to help her. But she's like, no way. You're not the X-Men. And even if you were, I'm not interested. Then Iceman ends up, like, in some mole man land. And then Jean ends up in the Ultimate Universe. And on the last page, she meets Ultimate Spider-Man. There's probably a lot of people really excited about this. I'll wait and see. I don't really care right now. <laughs> not being a fan of the Ultimate Universe is really kind of means nothing to me. It's, it's supposedly a big deal. And maybe the impetus for bringing Miles Morales to the Marvel U, which I'm okay with that. Because on all accounts, everything I hear, Miles Morales is pretty cool. He's the Ultimate Spider-Man, FYI. Oh. I wouldn't mind seeing him come over. I'm not going to buy an Ultimate book. But anyway, so what do you think of the art? Uh, we've been really, really digging Azra's art on Wolverine and the X-Men. What oh, you I really loved it. Did you? I didn't think it was quite as good. I thought it was good, but it wasn't like the awesome, I'm the best I've ever been that we've been getting in Wolverine and the X-Men. I didn't think. No, but it's still it, it's, it's still better. great. Yeah, yeah, it's still great. So I didn't mean that to be like a put down. I just I feel like he was delivering the best art of his career over in Wolverine and the X-Men. I don't feel like this is quite that level. I'm also wondering, did he ink himself in Wolverine and the X-Men? I don't know, did he? Are we supposed to share that information? That he inks himself? What? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, you pushed the door open. Yeah. Anyway, I can't remember. I want to say he he did, but I don't know that I I should look. You know, we're not exactly known as being bastions of research on this podcast. And that's why you love us. Yeah. Hey, you can look it up. You got the internet. The interwebbies. Yep. Send a thank you note to Al Gore for inventing it. (laughs) Anyway, so what do you think of all new X-Men number 31? Confusing. Confusing because you don't know the ultimate stuff? I guess so. Okay. What are you going to grade all new X-Men number 31? Um, I'm going to give it four out of six, and that's mostly because of art. I was thoroughly confused. So if you don't know any of this alternate Marvel Universe stuff, I wouldn't suggest reading it. Okay. Because it's going to confuse you. I'm going to give all new X-Men number 31 three out of six claws, mostly out of apathy. Oh, (laughs) well. All right. So, Denise, you can either stick around or whatever. I'm going to talk about Avengers Undercover number eight, three I'm, months later. I'm going to sit here and just add, you know, slapstick. Okay. This is Hopelessly Written by Dennis Hopeless. Very unfortunate oh. name. Ba-dum-bum. Uh Ty Walker is the artist. John Francois Ballou is the colorist, or Bolu, I guess, would be the colorist. Uh, the letter is VC's Joe Caramagna. Like Lasagna. The cover is Francesco Mattina, and the cover is basically just three little panels. We have Sabretooth and Mystique with some girl in a hood and Madame Mask. Then we have two guys I don't know about to kiss, and then we got some lady I don't know screaming. This is Going Native Part 3. Our characters, because I have not been reading this book, are in the front as Hazmat. She, at one point, was a young Avenger. I know her. Then we got some guy with a mohawk knit in a, looks like a Hawaiian shirt named Chase. Then we got Nico. And we got Death Locket, which is a horrible name. And we got Cammy, 
Anachronism, which is a horrible code name, and Bloodstone, which may or not be related to the Captain America Bloodstone? I don't know. Anyway, basically these guys, these kids, uh, who were in Avengers Arena, I guess, which I also didn't read, have been under, or some of them have been undercover. Uh, they've been recruited as the new Masters of Evil, Juniors, the Junior Masters of Evil by Baron Zemo. And uh, I guess some of them were undercover and trying to take Baron Zemo down. But part of the plan is uh, Madame Mask wants Sabretooth and Mystique to hit something really hard and create a distraction for the Avengers so that Baron Zemo can carry out his plan. And I really like the way Sabretooth handles it. Sabretooth says, we talk in a straight favor here. I like a little extra honey in my pot. Ooh, he's Pooh Bear. Yeah, yeah, he's Pooh Bear. I don't like that his penthouse is all animal motif, like he's Craven the Hunter. It's all like tiger stripes and a leopard prince, which I don't really see Sabretooth being a cougar, but you know, whatever. No. <laughs> anyway, Madame Mask brings up a good point. She says, that's going to be one busy day for truth and justice. Lots of fires to put out. Lots of honey to protect. A bad guy making smart moves can walk away pretty sticky. So we're not going to pay you direct, but, you know, we'll give you the opportunity to make your own money. So I, I like that little exchange, and Sabretooth and Mystique agree. They will follow through and, and attack something for the fun of it and to help out. Yeah, basically, Hazmat calls Hank Pym, says she needs some help. Then there's a bunch of other stuff that has to do with the characters that I don't really know about. But the Avengers are going to come rescue the kids, and that, apparently, is exactly what Baron Zemo wants. To be continued. So, uh, the art, I didn't hate it. Uh, not exactly my cup of tea. It wasn't horrible. But anyway, I really enjoyed the part that Sabretooth is in. The rest, maybe it's just because I don't really know the characters, but I just had a hard time really caring. I'm going to give Avengers Undercover number eight. Um, I'll give it three out of six claws. It wasn't really bad. I just wasn't that interested in it. All right, well, that's going to do it for our Wolverine Roundup. Yee, doggies. <laughs> okay, so that's going to do it for episode 99, One Month to Die. Woo-hoo! So next up will be our gigantic 100th episode. It's enormous. Yes, and we'll be doing, actually we've already recorded it. <laughs> we'll be doing a, a commentary on X2, the movie. And I may or may not have fallen asleep. <laughs> <laughs> We did watch it pretty late at night, so if it sounds a little snoozier than the episode 50, we apologize. Hey, just edit out all my snoring. I can't edit it out. It's real time. With okay, the, with if you film. hear snoring, it's Jason. It's not me. Right. I snore and talk at the same time. It's a gift. It's okay. But if you do hear a thud, that was my rubber band tie from my hair that he flung at me <laughs> to wake me up. Yes. So there's a little peek behind the camera or behind the microphone. Ooh, behind um, the snicked. Yeah, behind the, there you go, behind the snick. Yeah, That's I remember when I first met Denise, we decided to do a podcast together. <laughs> he tricked me. He said it'd be a one-time thing. Yeah. Little did I know. You're my slave girl, Leah. <laughs> There's and chains I, under this table. And I'm your Jabba the Hut. Ew. You're not Jabba. Yeah. You're well, Han. Sweet. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't say Luke, because he's a whiny bitch. Oh, actually, do you know that was one of the first questions you asked me when we were dating? Was it? Yeah, you text me and you go, who's who's hotter, Han Solo or Luke Skywalker? <laughs> and I said, Han Solo. And you just texted back, you're awesome. <laughs> you passed the test. Good. I forgot Guess all so. about that. <laughs> 
Well, anyway, this was episode 99. Next will be episode 100. And then after that, we will move on to uh, the death of Wolverine. It's finally here. And we'll talk all about it. And we'll put a black wreath on the door. Yeah. We'll be in mourning. Our armbands. Black armbands. Anyway, please like the Facebook page. Please leave an iTunes review. Follow us on Twitter at SnickCast. Our webpage is snickcast.podbean.com. You can find show notes and other stuff there. Um, I guess that, oh, email that no one ever uses is snickcast (laughs) at yahoo.com. And uh, I guess that's going to do it. So until next time, hugs and snicks. Bye. Bye.